Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come for you, from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Matthew 2, verse 1 through 12. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. And amen. You know, this weekend I got the opportunity to be a part of the wedding of a few of my loved ones. And it was a beautiful time, beautiful time. And there was this moment out on the dance floor where everyone was together. All the little kids, my little babies were holding hands. The adults were holding hands. We were just dancing in a circle. And it was amazing. You know, touching and dancing and moving together with a common purpose can really help lift us up and grow us together. Am, am, I, am I wrong? Am I the only person who feels that? So today I want to show y'all a little dance move that we used to do here um, at one point in time. It was called the High Crest Shuffle. It's called the High Crest Shuffle. And the High Crest Shuffle is when you come in and you take your seat, you move up and in so that other people can come in and connect. So if you're, if, you're, if you're sitting in your seat right now and you got a lot of space, I want to encourage you, if you can, to, to move in or move up. I get to we in or move up so that someone else can have a seat because we are getting a little full. Y'all thought I was actually going to dance. Maybe later. Maybe later. It depends on how you respond to the sermon. You might not want to dance after this. <laughs> la family, la familia, madrigal. The focus of Disney's 2021 animated movie Encanto is the story of a young woman who loses her husband to colonizers while on the run for her life but something incredible happens. The candle that she's holding to light the way for her and her triplets becomes enchanted in a miracle, which creates this safe haven for her and her people in the mountains. It's a magical living house in Encanto. And it blesses each of her children and her grandchildren with magical gifts. The woman reacts to this miracle by calling her family to live a life that is worthy of the miracle, to be upstanding in character and in service. And she does this for two generations, making her an abuela or grandmother and building up an incredible home for her and her family and all the others that escaped the colonizers in the mountain until the miracle starts to fade. 
Her granddaughter, Mirabel, the only one to be born without a gift, sets out to save the miracle by digging deep into unresolved family issues and eventually lands herself face to face with her abuela, who out of fear commands her to stop. At the peak of their argument, the house begins to fracture and crack. Each member of the family loses their powers and they barely escape before the walls crumble and the house collapses in a heap of ashes. Shortly after, Abuela finds Mirabel after running away from their family and she apologizes to her. She explains that the miracle faded because of Abuela's own fear. The standard that she held for their family was not born out of altruism or nobility, but it was a reaction to that fear. A reaction that ultimately alienated their family and had destroyed their miracle. Today, brothers and sisters, I think some of us could classify our own walks with Christ that same way, just a reaction. You didn't want to go to hell, so you prayed this prayer and decided to follow Jesus. You got lonely on that walk, so you said, well, maybe I'll find a church to be a part of, some other believers. You get anxious, so you might pick your Bible up from time to time, and maybe you went to jail, so you said, I should probably try out this being sober-minded thing. Even the good things you do, it's just a reaction. But no matter how many times you try to do the right thing, you try it out, at some point you find that the floor is cracking, that your light is fading, and that the walls are crumbling down. You can't stay anywhere consistently. You can't commit to anything consistently. And even though Christians should be those in the world who have the most to celebrate, you find that you are sorely lacking in joy. Jonathan's message last week was inspiring, but some of you are preparing to react, and I want to tell you today, it's not going to work. If we want to truly grow as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who share this light, who share this miracle with the rest of the world, a reaction to a great sermon, a reaction to an emotional moment in service is not going to cut it. We need intentional action following Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, our focal passage, Matthew paints a picture of three groups of people. First are the enemies of Christ. Second are the apathetic to Christ. And the third are the seekers of Christ. And I believe that the seekers hold the secret to seeing a change in our communities, consistency in our habits, and joy in our daily lives. Could anybody use some joy in their life today? (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one. Then let's dive in and see what made the seekers so different from these other two groups of people and what we can learn about putting our own faith into action today. The first thing that we see is that the seekers see God in their daily lives, in their everyday life. The term wise men is often translated as magi, and that means that they were those who were knowledgeable of the stars. In other words, they were astrologers, with knowledge of the prophecy of Christ. Now, this is a little kooky to me. They spent all their days as scientists studying nature in the world, but because they had knowledge of the prophecy of Christ, they saw Christ in it. 
But in verses 3 and 4, we see that the religious leaders, whose job it was to study the scriptures and to know Christ, seem to have missed the fact that the Messiah came. This is confusing to me. You had one job. <laughs> you, you were the lookout. You had one job. <laughs> you know the prophecy by heart, but you missed the Messiah. Sometimes we become apathetic in our walk because there are places in our daily lives that we just don't expect Christ to show up. Are you a teacher with knowledge of Christ? Are you a stay-at-home mom with knowledge of Christ? Are you a bouncer with knowledge of Christ? Whatever your profession, you shouldn't just be reacting to the world around you, but you should be actively seeking to see Christ show up in the home with your children, in the school, in the club. If you're the only Christian on your job and you're also the only one who knows it, I'm sorry, but you have become apathetic. And you might as well be getting your friends, your coworkers, your family a get to hell soon card. I said it right. But I get it. We look at this call to make disciples, this call to lead people to Christ, and we say sometimes it, it's just too hard. Maybe you're afraid of what people might say. Well, Isaiah 40, 29 says that he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Maybe you're tired. You're tired of battling with your kids. You're tired of battling with your boss. You're tired of battling with your spouse. But Isaiah 40, verse 30 says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. See, God has already laid all of his chips out on the table, but maybe, just maybe, you're unsure if you can do what he said he'd do through you because you've stopped expecting him to show up. So you look at the task and you say, all I've got is me. God, I can't do that. Where do you need God to show up in your life today? What does his word promise you about that? Are you expecting him to honor his word? The first thing we see is that they see God in their everyday life. And the second thing that seekers do is they do whatever it takes to worship Jesus. Did you know that Jerusalem was only six miles away from Bethlehem? When I was in middle school, I was involved in a lot of extracurricular activities, and my mom worked certain hours where she couldn't always pick me up right after those things, and I was honestly not the best at communicating my schedule. So I started walking home. I would walk home from French Middle School to 1300 Southeast Illinois in East Topeka. It was 6.6 .6 miles and would take 2.5 hours. Often you could catch me on the side of the road with a big cello case on top of my head like an African water pot um, trying to avoid the potholes. Someone asked why. Why, why, did, why did you do that? Why didn't you just wait for a ride? Why didn't you just call? Because I wanted to be home. I didn't want to wait. I wanted to get home to my mom. I wanted to get home to my video games. I wanted to get home to dinner. And I would do whatever it took to be heading towards home as soon as possible. I went to school outside of my community, and I had a great time. But when all was said and done, I couldn't stand feeling like I wasn't moving towards home. 
The Jewish leaders lived a two-hour walk from Jesus, and they never visited him. Some of us live less than 10 minutes away from the church, and we still only make it to service 2.2 times a month. Some of us can roll over in our beds, pick up our phones, and connect with the word of the God of the universe, but we're too busy to start a new reading plan right now. Have you started making your home somewhere outside of the presence of God? Some of us think that discomfort is too far to travel for Jesus. And it's, it's no secret that I dislike long-term planning. And there are several factors that make it very difficult for me. But if Jesus sat on a cross with nails through his hands and his feet for me, and all I have to do is deal with some headaches, learn how to make a spreadsheet, then you too be a sensei. If that's what it takes to respond to who God is and what he's done, I'm going to get it in, even if it's hard, even if it's inconvenient, even if it hurts. If that's what it takes to respond to who God is and what he's done, then I'm throwing that cello on top of my head and I'm hitting the streets running because I have to move towards home. Some of us are waiting on a new revelation from God. We're waiting on a miraculous healing. We're waiting on a miraculous, a magical sign when the application for therapy is still sitting in our inbox. When the messages from the doctors are still going unread in my chart. And our journals are still stuck in the back of the trunk. He's six miles away. Get up and get active. I'm going to sit here for a second. Last night, I was at the homegoing celebration for my brother, Stephen, one of my close friends. I had lost contact with him over the last couple of years, and <clears throat> during that time, I found out two things. One was that he had gotten cancer. The second thing was that he had become an atheist. And with my limited interactions with my brother during this time, I kept thinking, man, I really hope somebody talks to him about that. Last Tuesday night, I got a call from another one of my brothers that Stephen had two days to live. I went into a full-blown panic. See, I wasn't sure where my brother stood with Christ. He killed me thinking about the fact that he could die, not knowing that Jesus loved him, not knowing that the God of the universe cared enough about him to die for him, to move heaven and earth for him. So I started calling everybody because I knew that I hadn't built the relationship that on his deathbed, when he could barely hold a phone, where I would be able to speak into that gap. So I called everybody. I knew I had everybody praying for him. I called all the people I knew that, that, I, that I knew had been talking to him recently. Hey, can you talk to him? Have you heard him? Has he made a profession of faith? What can we do? But before anybody could reach him on the phone, I got another text. Stephen was dead. I bawled like a baby in the presence of my wife. I realized that that uncertainty was the worst thing that I could ever imagine for someone that I loved or cared about. That night, I contacted all my friends that I thought might have a doubt about who Jesus was, and I shared the gospel with them. But it was too late for one. Six miles. 
Who's six miles from you? Who is it that you love that needs to know that Jesus loves them? But you haven't told them because that's not your thing. Where have you stopped expecting him to show up? Who have you stopped expecting him to show up for? If you're in this building today or if you're listening online, I want you to know that there's a better way to live than just reacting to life. That you don't have to be at the mercy and the whim of every wind that life throws your way. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have been inconsistent. Yes, you have chosen to do life your way. And sometimes you've been apathetic to the good of those around you and even yourself. But thankfully, God's motion isn't determined. He's not reacting to what your reaction is. That's not what he judges you on. You see, God didn't just react to our sinful hearts. He took action. He sent his son in the form of a human being. We call him Jesus the Christ. He took our sin on himself, and he hung on a cross and paid the cost for us. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was humiliated, and ultimately he died for you and for me. And then he got up from the grave it says with all power in his hands and he said that anyone who had put their life in his hands anyone that will put their faith in him would be saved from their sin and brought back into a relationship with the God of the universe that's the good news that's the gospel and if you haven't heard it I'm sorry I want you to know I want you to know because I love you if you decide to make that decision that decision to follow that Christ today then I want you to text C-O-N-N-E-C-T to 785-432-4544. Someone will connect with you and help you to get active in your faith today. If you've been thinking about it, you're like, man, I just got more questions. I'm not quite sure. Text C-O-N-N-E-C-T to 785-432-4544 and someone will help walk you toward answers. You don't have to have it all together, but you got to make a move. Make a move today. Don't discover that what you've been waiting for your whole life was across town this whole time. Before the worship team sings and we continue in worship this morning, there's one more thing that I want you to see about the seekers of Christ. They see God in their everyday lives They do whatever it takes to worship him, and seekers listen to God's voice. You know, there are 400 years between the last Old Testament prophecy of Malachi and the first New Testament gospel of Matthew. But God told them before that happened what he was going to do. We know this because they knew it from his word. They had studied it but they still became apathetic. Why? Because they didn't act on it. The wise men had been holding on to a prophecy from Balaam, who wasn't even a Jew, who wasn't even a follower of God. A prophecy that Balaam made when Moses was still alive. And when they saw God, they moved. That required them to go to a foreign land. They moved. That required them to speak to a foreign king. They moved. 
Because it was the custom and they had to do it the right way, they went to a foreign land and talked to a foreign king. Listen, when God does show up in your life, it's not enough just to see him. You have to move. Some of you are believers today, but you've been waiting for the right time to actually follow Jesus. Discomfort is too much of a distance for you. But even if you get past the discomfort, you stop because you know that someone or something else actually sits on the throne of your heart. And you're afraid of what might happen if those who sit on the throne of sports sit on the throne of Netflix, sit on the throne of premarital sex, sit on the throne of your career, get upset by the king of the Jews. So you've become apathetic. You stop moving. And you think it's all right because, hey, I'm only six miles away. I'm going to show up sometimes. I read my Bible sometimes. I hit every other community group. But God describes this type of believer, this type of church in Revelation 3. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You got to pick a side. You think you've committed enough, just enough. You've done just enough, even though you know that God has called you to more. It's time to move. But remember how I said there were three different types of people in this passage? The seekers of Christ, the apathetic to Christ, and the enemy of Christ. The enemy of Christ, King Herod, ends this passage by trying to destroy Jesus. But who gave him the information? Who helped the enemy of Christ try to kill Jesus? The apathetic believers. You can't stay static in a stream. You're either going with the current or you're going against it. There is no neutral. You're either a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, or you're an enemy of Christ. Someone or something will be your master. What will you choose? Will you keep living a life that's six miles away? Just reacting to when the Spirit of God shows up. Or will you choose to see God in your everyday life? To do whatever it takes to worship Him and to listen to His voice. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, there will be an opportunity for those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ to seek him in obedience. That's through water baptism. It's not something that saves you, but it's an outward demonstration to say, I have put my faith in Christ. I'm moving, I'm taking action towards this Jesus who has called me. If you've made that choice to follow Jesus, but you haven't made that choice to follow Jesus, I want to invite you and encourage you to do that today. Bill is standing in the back. We've got extra clothes for you. We've got, we've got towels for you. We have everything that you need to be obedient today. Make a choice. Don't stay six miles away. And as I pray, take a moment to think about areas in your life 
where you may have become apathetic, stopped expecting Christ to show up. Ask God to come into those areas and lay claim over your heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you look out over our lives and you see our apathy. You see our atrophy. You see where you've called us to be greater, to do more, to give more, to love more. And Lord, we've we've just straight up ignored you. We've known what you said and we haven't done it. But Lord, you look at us. And you love us every day. You knew this from the beginning of time and you still hung on a cross and gave your life for us. Thank you, Lord, for your consistency. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would give us the ability to respond in kind. Lord, that you would help us to move from being apathetic to being seekers, to being those who are looking for you in our everyday lives. And if anyone is still struggling to make that choice of whether or not they'll put their faith in your son, Father, I pray, Lord, that you keep knocking on the door of their hearts. These things and more, I pray, in the name of your son, Jesus. And together we say, amen.